1: into the coach's kid here on the sports objective episode four of this particular show It's the first episode when we've turned out you know here in the last several months but uh, it's good to be back and you know just if you've not seen the coach's kid before here on the sports objective just our first three guests uh, you know we had tommy bowden uh, obviously the son of the legend bobby bowden Uh, We also had Kate holland Baynard, who's the daughter of former East Carolina AD, UVA, and Davidson AD, as well as legendary UVA head men's basketball coach Terry Holland. And then our third show, our most recent show, was Ted Pardee, the son of the late Jack Pardee, who was such a successful NFL and college head football coach. And tonight, uh, we're sticking with that football theme. We have with us the daughter of Les miles and that is Smacker Miles. Smacker, we appreciate your time this evening.
2: Of course, I'm happy to be here.
1: Absolutely, and uh, you know, looking forward to uh, you know talking about what it was like growing up in the Miles household, and you know, obviously, uh, so much um, your background in sports. Not only your dad in football, but then your mom, she was a college basketball player at Central Michigan, and then yourself. Uh, you, you know, you played uh, or swam uh, for the University of Texas. So uh, just take us back to into your childhood. I know you were born in Ann Arbor, but then when you were just, what, about five, six months old, you moved to Stillwater for the first of two times.
2: Yeah, Stillwater was my first memories, at least. And we had two great stops in Stillwater. So that was a place that was really good in the Miles family. But I think growing up in my house, there was no option but to be an athlete. So you talk about the fact that I ended up at Texas, but my siblings played college sports as well. And I think once my mom retired and was a full-time mom, she was kind of the coach of the kids' club.
0: So your first memories were in Stillwater. Uh, how old How old were you uh, at that time?
2: I was zero, nine months old, like you said, until four years old.
0: Okay, so you, do you have memories of being in Stillwater?
2: I do, yes. When I was little, little. I remember honestly being at football practice, and then at Cowboys, I remember more. So it was the back end of four. I remember a going-away party that we had at Eskimo Joe's with all the athletic department right before we moved.
0: So your dad left there and became, was it tight ends coach for the Cowboys? Yes. Dallas?
2: Yeah, he was tight ends at Cowboys and then back to Oklahoma State as that head coach.
0: Okay, so the, the second time at Oklahoma State, um, talk about that. How, how old were you at that time?
2: We moved back when I was seven. I was seven to 10. And so those were kind of the first it was the first time I really had like memories of the whole stop or like remembered every part of life at that stop.
0: So what was it like for you as seven to 10 years old? Did did you grasp the concept of what a big deal it was that now your dad was a division one head coach?
2: So in Stillwater, it was such a wonderful place. And they had one. We won four games the first year we, we were there, but at the end of the season, we beat OU. So I didn't know that people got upset with football coaches from oh. seven to ten. And wow, what a <laughs> protected aspect of childhood that was! I thought everyone just liked my dad, and that they always would. So we had a great time in Stillwater. I remember riding those razor scooters on campus and doing. You know, running races outside the Eskimo Joe's and all the restaurants in Stillwater. So we had a great time. Stillwater is a wonderful community. The people are so sweet. It's a college town. You get that true college town vibe where the energy is high and there's a lot of optimism in the place. And we had a great time there. I mean, overall, it was absolutely wonderful.
1: And when we're lining up this interview, you know, you know, we had, and we actually just talked about this before we went live. How we had had Kate Holland Baynard on, and the daughter or one of the daughters of Terry Holland, um, and legendary coach at the University of Virginia men's basketball, and she was talking about the relationship that she had with uh, you know Mike Shishovsky's daughters, and then also referencing uh, what you just said that it was so hard to hear people talking negatively about her father, you know, when they would lose a big game to the University of North Carolina or Duke or or whoever it may be, and um, that was something that. You know, having that relationship with another coach's family, that certainly uh, benefited her to to learn how to handle that.
2: Yeah, I think coaches' kids have a really special bond. They're the only ones that really know what it's like. And for us, we went to school on LSU's campus. So that entire time, coaches' kids would get into the private school on campus. And so every time we had a new... Hold on, hold
0: on. Hold on. There's there's a private like elementary middle school on campus. Uh-huh, the LSU. lab school,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: K through twelve. So any new coach is good. It didn't matter how old they were. <laughs> is it is it? So who goes there? It's not just for the coaches' children, who? Uh...
2: No, it was the lab school on campus. So we would okay. have student teachers from the university, and then it was kind of a normal private school in some aspects. And it was actually it was actually an interesting dynamic. It was a hybrid public private. So we did private standardized testing, and it was one of the less private private schools in baton rouge if that makes sense yeah but still had that component so it was fun because they would let coaches' kids start halfway through the year so that's what i did when we moved there and then one of my best friends in life to this day was the only one that did the move with us from oklahoma state to baton rouge so we actually moved and started a new school together as if she was my own sibling and i think that bond and knowing especially once we got to baton rouge and it was a community that really had a lot to say about football and was bought in as far as having an opinion about it. It was nice to have those coaches' kids and know that you had your siblings, but you also had extended siblings to be walking into school with if there was a tough game over the weekend.
0: Right. So you 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 were friends with the with the assistant coaches' children. Absolutely, always uh, best friends. Yeah. So it was easy to to bond there. I'm just fascinated by that concept at LSU of a, of a K through 12. I'm I'm sure that's not the only one like that. It probably, there's probably many, it's just a a new concept to me. Um, but, but but talk about, um, we're going to, so that, what year, what year did your dad take over to LSU?
2: It was 05.
0: 05. Okay. So we're just going to fast forward a couple years. Um, Jump ahead to 07, the national championship year. How old were you when that happened?
2: I was thirteen.
0: Thirteen? Okay. So you're you're just becoming a teenager. Yeah. You're what seventh grade?
2: Around there. I I I should know that. I don't know that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what what was like what was that like for you being a 13-year-old, your dad? You know, at LSU, they just won the national championship. So now everybody in Baton Rouge loves your dad for that time being. Um, so so what was that like? What was that excitement like to to uh, to be a part of a um or at least your father leading a a program to a national championship? I'm about to say you were a part of a national championship program. <laughs> I don't guess you did much, but uh, what was it like being being a part of it? Because you you were a part of it on the peripheral.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I think this is this is one of my most laughable childhood memories because you know you're just naive and you don't know anything else. And when people ask me what it was like, it's like, well, it was normal to me because I didn't know anything else. So I remember being very, very excited about getting a purple juicy sweatsuit for the game. That's what I really wanted. I wanted to have the the all-purple fit. And I remember we woke up on the day of the game and I went to practice with the club team in New Orleans. And it was a random team. I obviously wasn't on that team full time. And I got back to the hotel room and there's, you know, people gathered around and waiting to see my dad and greet him, extended family members and stuff. And he was like, how's swim practice? And he wanted to hear all about it. He wanted to know if I beat the new competition and what the set was. And so for me, it was such a normal day because it was another game day and I would go to practice and I would see the Tigers and I would think that they were invincible. I just, I didn't know any better than to think that we were going to do that all the time. And my dad was very humble. So I never really felt like it was about, it wasn't about him, the team won. And that's just kind of how we saw it. So it was, it was a bowl game, but we had been to bowl games at that point. And it's fun to look back at how normal they made that seem in a way that kept me really grounded. And You know, I feel like it never got to us as far as like getting to your head kind of or feeling like it was about you. And I think that that's an important part of who I am.
0: Do you actually remember swim practice from that day?
2: I remember the pool. I remember the people I was racing against. I remember the in-state Louisiana competition, but not people I practice with day to day. So I absolutely do remember that. And I remember people kind of wanting to talk to my dad and him just really being genuinely interested in swim practice. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's good. It's actually, it probably actually helped him, too, to, to get his mind on normalcy, you, what you did exactly. that day, rather than just focusing on the game nonstop.
2: Yeah, exactly. And we would help him do his game boards. He would write like kind of a motivational talk on a big whiteboard and they would wheel it into the hotel room on any away game. So it was it felt like a normal away game to me.
1: Smack kind was, of. Sorry, but, Blake, uh, well, I was
0: going to follow up on that. When did you realize? <laughs> at, at, at what point? How many years later did you realize what your dad had accomplished by, by winning a national championship?
2: The stress crept up. It was year. It was very just consistent over that time until you know until the end. And I think even in the end, I didn't make sense of even the firing for a little while because I would see people get jobs that you know the next year in the years to come with, you know, not having had an amazing season, they would get a new job or they would just keep a job that I'd be like, wait, what? That was kind of an iffy year. And so I think, I think it took me a long time to really understand how hard it is to do that. And, and just the great teams that it's elusive and they just miss a couple of times that they were close and it never happens. So I'm it's still really incredible to know that that actually happened and to look back at those naive memories and realize how different it really was.
1: Smacker, yeah. before we talk more about your dad's time in Baton Rouge, uh, you know kind of going back to from that transition from Stillwater to uh, Baton Rouge, um, I guess what you were about 5th grade or so, about to transition into middle school. So what that's another aspect of being a coach's kid, the moves. Uh, so that was You'd obviously made that transition from Dallas to Stillwater, a place that you were a little familiar with you know, from when you were two or three years old. But um, you know, obviously you had made friends in elementary school. What was that like having to move move away? And uh, you know, how how did you deal with that aspect?
2: <laughs> Guys, I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly. <laughs> I was I was not ready for that move. <laughs> it was halfway through fourth grade. I do remember this grade on this one. And I went to Miss Yod's class in Baton Rouge, and I went in, you know, Nike jumpsuit, sporty girl. Like my hair was slicked back. I did not own a bow, and I walked into a private school in Baton Rouge where all the girls had the big bows on their hair, and they all, you know, were girlier than me. I was a little tomboy at the time, and they were also ahead of me in school. And so I think that's one of the things that. People don't really think about with the moves; they think about the social aspect, but they don't think about the actual whether it's academic or athletic aspect. So, in sports, I was good, but in school, I was I was behind, and so I got called up to the board because I thought I knew division. <laughs> And the teacher asked me, and I said yes, because I thought I did. And then I went up to the board and I didn't. And so, and then she snapped at me about saying ma'am because they didn't say ma'am in Stillwater. So I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I just said yes instead of yes, ma'am. And at U High, you say yes, ma'am. No, like yes, ma'am, yes, sir and i missed on that and she was not very nice about it so there was there's a little bit of a transition and it's funny now but my dad did have me sit on his lap at a recruiting function and then try to make a joke about it and i'm melted <laughs> he still talks about making me cry on accident at a recruiting function
1: they <laughs> he say this is the new head coach's daughter she she doesn't know division and, and she's uh, and she's not polite
2: exactly exactly and then my parents tell the story apparently she told them i don't remember this part that the next time she asked me if i
0: knew something i said no ma'am i don't but <laughs> so you got it all right that time you just said no you don't know exactly. it and you got the ma'am in
2: i learned so
0: yeah lower the bar low expectations no i don't know it and then if it turns out you do yeah you're good to go exactly over promise over deliver under promise mm-hmm. over deliver Other. exactly so.
1: So, Bob, go ahead. Yeah, transitioning back to that time at uh, LSU, you know, your dad became, you know, very well known. In addition to all the wins that the Tigers were piling up uh, on Saturdays, um, you know, for his press conferences, and uh, you know, now as someone you know, who's in the media, you know, what are some of your memories of you know seeing those clips? Um, you know, whether it's on SportsCenter or, or what have you. Uh, definitely, I always love uh, hearing your dad and then talk to the media after games
2: yeah we always went to the press room. We were always at the walk, and then the post game press conference it was something that he was very you know very sweet about wanting us there. So we were at all of those and I just remember feeling for him kind of just you like have another level of respect for for the game and for coaching and for what goes into it. And there would be so many times that I would hear him talking about something at home and then he wouldn't be saying that to the media. And that's something I absolutely operate through that lens now where it's like, if, you know, if someone's playing or not playing and I'm like, I wonder about that decision. I know that there's more to the decision. And I think that it's a, it's a good lens to operate through that you don't know everything just because you're in the media. And I also Just, you know, we're in a different era now with NIL and stuff, but there's still young people and there's still kids that are doing their best. And so I still, you know, admire my dad for the way he defended the players and was a player's coach in the sense of the media. He players coach probably overall, but also in the sense of the media.
1: One that really stands out in my mind very quickly, Kyle, is uh, the one I'm trying to recall. I want to say in the last two or three years of his time there at LSU, you know, where he's talking about you you grab him and you give him a big hug and a kiss. So you you probably recall the one I'm referencing. I think it was after a home game.
2: (laughs) Give, 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 Give him a big hug and a kiss on the lips if you're a girl. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, we we remember that one. There's there's a lot of them that we remember, and I still get made fun of for grass. And even with my girlfriends now, when I go to get a green juice, they're like, "Yeah,
0: eat it. some grass, <laughs> eat some grass." so yeah. What was the? Uh, I I remember, you know, your your dad was called the Mad Hatter. Um, Why? I I never understood that. Uh, he wore a white LSU hat. I was, everybody wears a friggin' hat. I I, I never got that. <laughs>
2: It had to do with his fourth down calls. It was about being a gambler. The right, Matt okay. were, I think, in history they were crazy, and so I think that that was the reference. And
0: yeah, I, can't I, know, say I, I, I disagree I, with the nickname. I understand that, yeah, because he was a he was a bit of a gambler, but I, it just always seemed like I don't know, maybe it became. Maybe he wore a little the high on his
2: head too. He yeah, wouldn't like pull the hat all the way down. And I feel like now they could have made him some shallow hats. So it wouldn't have just been sitting up
0: there unfilled. <laughs> right. But- it never looked that odd to me. I just remember everybody focusing on his hat. I, was, well, I, I get the reference in terms of being a gambler going forward on fourth down, et cetera. But I never, I was like, well, what the hell? It's just a white LSU hat. What's the, I never quite understood that.
2: Yeah, I don't know. He's just—he's a white hat guy, and I—I I don't think I've ever seen him in a non-white hat that I can think of. Even downstairs, there's just you know fifty white hats. So, I don't know. I—I don't think he wore him that. I agree. I don't think it was worn that crazy. I think it just between being crazy and being a traditional hat guy, it happened.
1: Yeah, yeah, Kyle, the the Mad Hatter, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah,
1: right, I about. exactly. That's what. I, yeah, that's what. But um, yeah, some of those, some of those calls uh, and, and then <clears throat> when they would pan out, um, you, you know, I'd love the reaction on the sideline, just you know, kind of kick back, laughing, grin- grinning from ear to ear.
2: Yeah, they were, they were great memories. And on the anniversaries or sometimes, you know, former players will repost stuff and it's always fun to see that game film and dad's reactions to that and know now to being in the working world, how hard he worked at it. and he didn't complain about it. He was so fulfilled by it and worked so hard, but without obviously it was very like self-motivated made work. So I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. And now that I'm in the working world and know how many hours he put in and what he did and the way he did it, I admire his work ethic and professionalism even more.
0: So, you know, after the seasons were over, you know, whether it be the Oh seven season or another season, um, did you guys have uh, you know, yearly vacations, things you guys always did during the summer before the season started as a family to uh, so talk about some of the traditions you guys had together as a family once football season was over where you had to spend more time with your dad?
2: Yeah. So I think one of the misconceptions about my dad was that he was this. Like he was the personality made him not make him seem laid back, but I think he got this reputation for being different than an urban Meyer and Nick Saban, as far as being fun. And he was a workaholic workaholic like the rest of them. So as much as we absolutely went on some vacations, we, he was in the office, he was in the office, a lot of the off season. He wasn't, you know, my brother's both coach. So I know some staffs that get more time and some that get less. And he was in the office a lot. So he we would go to destin as a family over the 4th of July every year and he, we would do family practices so that meant that everyone had to be practiced by dad in order in at a random ball field in destin And we would do family workouts. So even his vacation was pretty sporty. (laughs) And we have some amazing memories from family vacations on dad coaching us because he felt like it was his opportunity to coach and parent. So it was like this like boot camp of a high dose of dad just being in full force. And that man woke up on one every single day. I've never seen a more morning person, just his feet hit the floor and his intensity was like this. So even if he drove us to school or something, it was like we were going to get a pep talk about every class, every practice, <laughs> anything. Ever it. So, I mean, he thought we would joke that he was the family professor, family, doctor, family, you know, you name it, he was it. So, but the the family practices were fun and we would go to the beach, we were a beach family and it was five hours from Baton Rouge to Destin. So we would get there once a year, not nearly as much as we probably thought or planned to when we got the house there, but that was our place. And we had a great time.
0: Did the, did the morning pep talk before school ever get on your nerves? That would have drove me crazy. Oh my
2: gosh. It drove me crazy. And we we would, you'd get this pep talk and then you would know that at night you were probably going to like a recruiting function and he was going to act like it was your social life. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't realize like I look back at it now and I think it's so sweet just how involved you wanted to be. And people asked, oh, well, it's like your dad was gone a lot. And I'm like, he was there. Don't you worry. He was there plenty. <laughs> and so, no, I mean, I feel like it kind of his intensity and the way he communicated with my mom, he made the most of every moment. And I never felt like I had a distant dad. We would go we would take him dinner at ops and we would watch the nana practice and then eat dinner with him. So some of the stuff that I thought was normal is is the stuff that was weird, but I know that I felt like my dad was there. So that was obviously a huge win in my life. And I don't, I'm not one of those people that look back and I'm like, Oh, like my dad missed so much. My dad got to everything he'd get to. He would bust it across town for one event at the end of a swim meet if he could. So I think some of those, once again, some of those moments where he did make it there, you kind of forget about the times he didn't because he worked so hard to get there when he did, when he could.
0: Did you ever have a situation um, at a swim meet, for example, Um, Or it doesn't have to be a swim meet, but it it, it just, you know, wherever where, you know, it was something for you or just something in public where you guys were as a family and you had to deal with a LSU fan that decided he didn't like your dad.
2: Yes, my parents tell, well, probably two main ones that step out, that stand out in my mind. When I was little, and I don't remember this one, but apparently it must have been Young and Baton Rouge, but I don't remember. So some kid, a boy came up to me and said that his dad said he could call better plays than mine. And apparently, according to the story, I told him, we'll tell your dad I can shake you like a rag doll. So my dad loves that one. <laughs> that's, that's the one that he likes to tell. And then when I was, I want to say 12, there was a state championship meet in Baton Rouge and for all of Louisiana. And there was a girl that, so high point is scored on seven events. And we had each won three and gotten second in the other three to each other on the seventh event. So this is day three. We're swimming the same seven events. And she touched me out in a 400 free long course in the summer. My dad was there. And her dad highlighted it, wrote high point, and then asked my dad to autograph it. And (laughs) I still, I mean, the girl's very nice. We kind of loosely keep in touch. She was not like that. And I, but I still look back on it and I'm like, yeah, well, I swim in college. Like, (laughs) I still... That one, I'm like, no, 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 that was too far. After seven events, like it's one thing if you just beat me on high point, but we won three, you won four events, and I won three events, and you're gonna have my dad autograph it? Come on. Did
0: he? Did he autograph it? Yes, he did. Okay, well that was good for your dad. Yeah, he, he was were, nice. Were he was you mad at him about him for it it?
2: I said the same thing. I was like, you didn't do it, did you? <laughs> he was like, you'll get, you'll get her next year.
0: <laughs> I <did>. You were, <laughs> you were mad at him for autographing it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He did the right thing. He did the right thing by autographing it. Yeah. I'm sure you see that now, but when you're 12, oh, yeah, you're probably for like, sure. yeah, <laughs>
2: "Well, I'll exactly." I mean, it didn't it didn't happen again, and it was it's funny, and it was, you know, her dad meant meant it in good fun, and you know, I was we both were had a lot to be proud of on the meet, and it was fine.
1: You're talking about your 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 swimming career, I referenced earlier in the show, just about how you swam uh, for the Longhorns, um, of course, uh, and Tell us about that process of you know, going through um, going through the recruiting and you know it, what your options were and you know how you how you settled on the University of Texas.
2: That is another place where naiveness came into play as far as what I had grown up seeing. You know, I saw the five stars come through where we rolled out the red carpet and took them to Texas Day Brazil and they had you know offers from Alabama and LSU and every program that they would want to go to. And so I thought that, you know, working hard and doing the right things was going to lay out those same opportunities for me and then I got to college and I, or to the recruiting process and I realized, you know, swimming's a partial scholarship sport and it's just way different. It's not the five stars that we've seen dad calling late at night, you know. So I think that it was tough in the beginning for that for me, but in the end I had offers from you know solid offers from Texas and Michigan which were my two dream schools growing up and then I took an official to LSU and Auburn I took my Auburn official visit for the LSU Auburn game and LSU beat Auburn by two points. And I was in the Auburn student section. And then my dad showed up in a police escort to a college party where people were trying to jump the fence, to thinking that it was the police just showing up to crash the party, to bust the party. And then the kids had to walk back in and be like, no, it's just Smacker's dad. It's fine. So I knew I wasn't going to Auburn because of that. And then I kind of wanted to do my own thing. And so I loved the LSU swim coach at the time. He was my club coach. He was wonderful that official visit was wonderful. And of course we went to an LSU game and got to see the fam and I was at a boarding school at the time. So it was actually nice to go see my family. And I mean, LSU will always just have the special place, probably the most special place in my heart. And so it was a tough decision to not go, but I, I knew I wasn't going to, if that makes sense. And then between Texas and Michigan, it was just the official visits and where my heart was. And the Texas decision was a great one. I absolutely love Texas. And I'm so proud of being a Longhorn and and that athletic department and the education, all of it was first class.
1: Yeah, that's something you hear, um, you know, be it. You know, a legacy recruit in some cases, you know, or someone in your in your position, you know, where your parent uh, is either a coach or an employee of the university, and you know, making that decision: do I want to stay at home or do I want to go elsewhere? Uh, what all went into that for you? Uh, obviously, you said Texas was well, the dream school of yours.
2: Yeah. My parents wanted me to go to my boarding school for high school and then come back for college. So when I first left home, that was the agreement. And I think I just wanted to be, I'm so proud of being a Miles and being Smacker Miles. And, you know, when people- bring up actually the coach's kid thing. I had a basketball coach recently tell me, I knew, I knew you were a coach's kid. I just knew. And then, you know, if people say that like, oh, you're, you know, you have this or that in common with your dad, there's nothing that makes me prouder than that. But I just knew I wanted to be my own person. I didn't want to just be Les Miles' daughter at LSU. And growing up, my, we, my parents very much so guarded against us just being that. They wanted us to be our own people. They wanted us to be independent. They wanted us to do what we wanted, and they wanted us to do it ourselves, to be honest. So I think that I was, I felt like I would have the opportunity to feel more confident in that merit if I went somewhere else. And I also knew that. I am loyal as they come. And so I knew that if something happened and things went south at LSU while I was in school, which they did that I would probably have a hard time with it. And I did. And I think that it was the perfect decision and one that I'm really proud of having made, but more so proud of the way my parents parented to set me up to make that decision.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And um, it was good to, blaze your own path sometimes um one of ask you being you brought it up about your dad being let go at lsu while you were at texas um in um 16 um how, how do you you know you weren't in lsu you weren't in baton rouge you didn't go there um so you, you you were in austin when your dad got fired i'm assuming um how did you take that uh what were your thoughts on that and did you know you, you say you still you love lsu you have a lot of love for them so i guess you got over it um So uh, just talk about that, your feelings on that at the time and your feelings on that now.
2: I had had a shoulder surgery, and so I was able to go to the Auburn game, and I was right there in the corner of the end zone where the the pass, they said the second had ticked off, and I was upset in the stands, and then I thought we would have a third game, so I didn't think it was going to happen the next day, but there had been a bunch of false alarms the year before, so... I landed on a connection from Atlanta to Dallas. And then I was in Dallas and (laughs) I got a text from someone I wasn't even friends with that said, Hey, your dad was let go. I called my mom and she didn't, she answered right away, but she didn't, she hadn't heard it. And so I kept calling my dad and he wasn't answering his phone. And basically, my mom found out. Officially from me and my grandpa. And then I found out from someone I wasn't friends with. And then my little brother found that from his high school football coach. And so he went straight to ops. He just drove straight there and he was the one that packed up my dad's stuff with him. So at the time I was really shocked and I was in hysterics in DFW. I'm crying so hard. People, strangers that I do not know are bringing me tissue boxes. They're like, what's wrong? Is there anything you can do? And I'm like, I'm like it's, it's my dad and he won't answer me. <laughs> and so then, then I see one of the Texas strength coaches is on my flight from Dallas back to Austin. And so I'm like, I can't let him know that I'm crying about this. I'm sure he knew I was crying exactly what I was crying about. So I put on some chick flick on, <laughs> on the screen in front of me on the flight when I board the plane. And then I don't even make eye contact while he's walking by. So to this day, I still laugh about the fact that I wanted, I wanted my weight strength coach to think that I was crying about a chick flick and not my dad being let go at that time. But, but I mean, from there, I just knew that there was, they were real tears, you know, like it was, we were upset about how it ended the legacy. We we just got super attached. And I think I look back now and it's like, there's nothing wrong with that attachment. It's not like I would have rather been emotionless about it or not cared about Baton Rouge or the people. And so it was hard, but it just, you know, it takes time. And I think, you know, my dad was so tough about it. He would never, he he couldn't say anything about him. He had to this day has never said anything the way he would just take it. But I just knew that there was nothing that would break his heart more. And so that's why it got to me.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's understandable that it got to you. I, I, you know, it's interesting to me that you felt like you had to hide it from the, uh, from the strength coach, but you know, I, I guess as you get older, you know, you, it was, you you realize that emotions are nothing to be ashamed of. If you got to cry, you got to cry. And then, yeah. you know, he knew damn well why you were crying on a chick flick. if he didn't <laughs> at the time he found us thereafter. there
2: um, Exactly. A coach's wife had told my mom once that if you don't cry, when you leave, it wasn't worth going. And I, I look back on it. And I agree with that. I think, the only way to go through that life is to invest in it and to invest in the people around you and the places and the student-athletes. And with that, you know, comes heartache on the back end if it doesn't end well. But what are you going to do? Not not have it try to end well or not, you know, give it your all right. while you're it's, there? It doesn't make any sense.
0: It's the old adage, better to have loved than lost and never loved at all. Same applies with that kind of situation. Yes,
2: exactly.
0: Um so the question that you probably get asked more than any other question in the world—do you know what it is before I even ask it? <laughs> what your nickname, Smacker? Where'd it come from? Yeah, you got it. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay. So it, it's a good story, and I feel like it's a podcast story because my parents say they're like, "Oh, she smacked her lips together when she was a baby," and it's like that is maybe. A fifth of the story. So they thought I was gonna be a boy. My mom was a tomboy, you know, short curly hair basketball coach. She'd never worn any makeup in her life. And so my parents were excited. The doctor wasn't supposed to tell them that I was gonna be a boy. They they didn't want to know. So when he looked at my dad and was like, Oh, coach, you're gonna be so happy, they were upset with him, but then they thought I was gonna be a boy. So they came up with boy names. So I was born, they didn't have anything ready. And my mom straight up says, I just wanted to leave the hospital. So they went with Catherine Ann and she admits that she didn't love it on spot. And so <laughs> then when I started smacking my lips together, they started referencing me as smacker, baby smacker. And so my mom thought it was just their thing. But then one time she went to the Michigan football athletic department and they were saying, how's baby smacker? My mom was like, Les, like, come on, you're telling people we call her that? We, you know, that wasn't the plan. And he was like, yeah, yeah, just go with it. So then in Stillwater, I was baby smacker from, you know, nine months old to four. Then in Dallas, I went to first grade and I said, my name was smacker. because My parents hadn't told me anything else. And so the the kids laughed. Wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. wait. (laughs) Did you really, when you first went to school, really think your, your Christian name was Smacker?
2: Absolutely. Oh, I, I absolutely my parents purposely did not tell me anything else. When pe- people will ask That's if my parents awesome. call me Catherine when I'm in trouble, and I'm like, I have never heard them say it. My mom will say it with her chest like it's nothing to strangers. Like, we'll like meet someone that my mom that like, This is my daughter snacker, and just like roll through it, like the person's gonna, and they're like, you can tell that they're kind of like samantha like any other s names that i mishear it but i mean to this day my parents will not tell anyone catherine if i hear catherine i think someone has my medical records okay but anyway so first grade went there cried went by smacker for first grade or went by catherine for first grade in dallas one time and then we moved back to the water and that was when it was just done. Everyone in town they dropped the baby but everyone was like Smacker's back and then a swim coach put in the heat sheet that way. And I don't really remember my college coaches asking much. They had seen it as, you know, you go back through USA swimming records from the time I was 8 and they had seen Smacker and so there was no question with them what they were going to call me. So then even at Texas I would be enrolled in classes and my academic advisors would put, you know, the preferred name as Smacker and even in lecture halls, like, I'd get called out smacker and i just act like it was normal. So to this day, it's on my driver's license and medical stuff as Catherine, but that's the only place. If someone has that, I'm like, oh, why? what do you know?
0: <laughs> you can Google it. It's on Google.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so have you ever run into a situation in school where a teacher or a coach refused to call you smacker?
2: One time, one time, it was like a boss, and he was like, "Oh, I don't know about that. Do you have a real name?" And I said, "Yeah, Catherine." And within two days, he was calling me Smacker. He was like, <laughs> "He was like, I get it now. You're a Smacker." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, it's fine." <laughs> and beyond that, every now and then, I'll be at a coffee shop and say Smacker, and the person will be like, that's not funny. Or like, you know, getting a sandwich and they'll, they'll think that I'm making a joke or want them to call it on the intercom or something. And in that scenario, I just, I realize what I, like, I realize that they just don't get it. And I feel really bad. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's it's a nickname. That's really what I go by, but you can say Catherine. And I always say smacker off the top of my head, but in that situation, it's like, Oh, like, you know, I get, I'm not confrontational about that. I don't blame them for, but it's just, I'm not making a joke.
1: Yeah, you can imagine uh, growing up with a nickname like Bubba, and some of the things that I heard. You um, know, in, in elementary school, my elementary school r- refused to go by nicknames, so I went by my my middle name, Brett. And then um, in in middle school, in the, in the first day of sixth grade, I was at a private Christian school, I was, we, or we went to a music class, and the teacher was going through the roster, and he said. Said Thomas Rosenbaum. I said. I said I go by Bubba. And she said, "No, really. What's your name?" And I, I said, "No, I go by Bubba." And she said, uh, "If you say that again, you're going to go to the principal's office." <laughs> oh. So, so you can imagine, like, I was pretty shy and reserved. And when I was like, "I said, that's great. I'm going to get sent to the principal's office for telling her my name," but uh, <laughs> you know, all my classmates. Vouch for me because several of them, I you know, I grown up playing sports, and they're like, no, that's what he goes by.
2: Yeah, oh, so. that's sweet. Yeah, my, my, so. my, my it wasn't man. meant for local news, but when I got back to sports, it's been
0: fine in sports.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: my favorite, uh, my favorite Bubba nickname story that he's told me, uh, Smagger not that we're going to make this the Bubba podcast all of a yep. sudden, but uh, <laughs> no, I I, love it. Uh, I, I I he he dated a girl one time and uh, that refused to call him Bubba, that yeah. only would call him Thomas. How, how long did that last one date, too?
1: Yeah, I said, I said, that I said, this isn't going to work. <laughs> she said, I, I really don't think I can call you that. I like, oh, well,
2: you have to call people what they want to be
0: called. Yeah, but, uh, within reason. <laughs> within yeah, reason. yeah. <laughs> uh, cer- certainly, <laughs> Certainly a nickname like Bubba or Smacker. Uh, if you got a problem with that, it's probably your problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. So going to the comments, we have several folks chiming in on Facebook and YouTube, want to mix some of these in. Um We'll start off with James uh, down in Hattiesburg. Uh, he says, two questions. Are we keeping Coach Miles away from eating grass, LOL, and how is Coach doing? Will we ever see him lead a program again?
2: he's doing well and he will not be leading any programs, but he uh, watches Pat McAfee every day and (laughs) he, his personal trainer in Naples played in Miami and uh, JJ feels like home and they have a great time together. So he is working out and he talks to my brothers about football all the time, but he, he won't be coaching again and As far as eating grass, guys, he was bending down our walk today, and I was like, "Oh no, we gotta touch the grass." No, we picked a piece of grass, didn't eat it, but he is still a fan of of grass for sure.
1: And and James,
0: (laughs) we heard it from Smacker. Coach Miles is a fan of grass. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) And James went on to say, "I was actually at Coach Miles' first game as a head coach when Oklahoma State." played southern miss in in hattiesburg uh, james is uh, like i said a resident of hattiesburg and a big fan of the golden eagles
2: yeah oh it was really special all football season getting to talk to the coaches and knowing their interactions that they'd had with them even if it wasn't you know an obvious interaction sometimes it was just at a convention or you know in passing and all of those memories of him and just even something like that, where it's like, I didn't even know his first game was there. And so I, I learn new things about him all the time through the sports world. And that is a very rewarding part of what I'm doing.
0: Well, you, How did you get into uh, to sports broadcasting? And, you know, obviously, you know, you, you have a background in athletics. You were a swimmer at Texas. Your dad's less Miles, but still – that doesn't just automatically qualify you to be a sideline reporter. So uh, how did you get into sports broadcasting? And, um, you know, I, like I said, I, you you did such a great job during that Rice-East um, East Carolina game that we were watching. Uh, You know, and your name, you, you just, you, you're memorable. Your name, you do a good job. And then we, lo and behold, you're Les Miles' daughter. But how did you get into that?
2: It was what I always wanted to do. None of us four kids ever really had that childhood, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a police officer thing. And I wanted to be a sports reporter by the time I was 10. By the time we moved to Baton Rouge, that's what I wanted to do. And I just, I would see the, you know, the sports reporters and the sideline girls come through and. The way that they, you know, their job description sounded like it'd be fun to me. And at the time, I definitely didn't think of it as TV. I thought of it as a sports job. I didn't want to be a swim coach, but I wanted to be in sports. And so I definitely learned a lot about, you know, makeup and broadcast and cameras and editing and video and technology after school. But as far as knowing what I wanted to do, I did always know. And I did an internship at Longhorn Network at the end of being at Texas. And that was, great the people are wonderful and then i did an internship at cowboys and that's kind of how i started to make connections in dallas and then from there it's been just a lot of freelance a lot of digital games and a lot of teaching some lessons to be honest so i'm just now getting to the point where i'm you know getting true sideline reps and and getting to have the opportunities to get to where i want to go as far as getting better to get there so it is such a A a tough job, but it's it's rewarding in the sense that it is highly motivating, and I you know I love looking forward to weeks as far as it feeling like a traditional game week, and you know I do the prep, and then I love to meet with the coaches and learn about the teams, and I I just I I do love it. So I'm really thankful that the parts of broadcast that I didn't understand or was completely naive to, I've kind of gotten the enough of getting the hang of it and learned enough about it to know that I absolutely was right in wanting to do that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned doing digital content, uh, the, the Rice East Carolina game with Keith Jefferson was on uh, ESPN plus. Uh, what is the most, the most high profile game you've done so far?
2: The, I mean, I just did ESPN plus. I was doing a lot of the ESPN plus American games this fall. So um, the highest profile game. I mean, I've done a game on CBS from CBS, CBS in one year, and it was CBS Sports based on programming the next year. So I've done some of that. I've done I've done some random bigger events, but a lot of the the most relevant reps are just those. That's what I want to do is sideline. So those football sideline games were important to me.
0: Yeah, you did a great job. You know, well, I also remember watching you. Maybe you did our game with Florida Atlantic also at Boca Raton um and you do a great job and you're not just blowing smoke and i just because you're less miles daughter but what is the reaction like from coaches and players uh towards you once they realize who you are do you feel like they treat you with more respect or do you feel like they're just so wound up in the moment it doesn't matter
2: <laughs> i don't ever tell anyone and there's it, it's just it's gone a bunch of different ways but they're all so wonderful i Absolutely loved. I know you guys are East Carolina people and that staff was absolutely wonderful. I think I ended up covering you guys four times, three or four times. And no, it was definitely four times because it was, yeah, because it was ECU, UTSA, Florida Atlantic the one you mentioned at Rice. And I think there was one other. So anyways, getting to know the staffs are is so much fun. And I think sometimes they don't know and they realize after, and they'll come up to me and apologize. I'm like, there's nothing to apologize for. You weren't, you weren't supposed to know that. And then sometimes they know, sometimes they'll be like, "Do you, well, how do you know about sports? Like they'll almost like get tipped off to it somehow. And then be and then I'll be like, oh, well, my dad was a coach. And they will be like, where? You And know, I'm not super forthcoming with it, but it is I feel like every coach that I met had a story about having met him or, you know, something that they knew about him or someone that they knew that knew him. And those stories were really, really sweet.
0: Do you feel like you're more knowledgeable than most so-called sideline girls?
2: I think yes, in some ways. And then also I feel like the level of football knowledge I have is like a, it's a humbling level because as much as I know, you know, for a girl, it, it's hard. It's a hard game, and my brothers and dad can still talk, talk me under a table in you know a matter of sentences. But I do find with rep- like my level of knowledge, I think it's very fitting because sometimes when I'm asking the coaches a very like humble follow up question that it's like I genuinely want to understand it, then you realize the guys in the room are also listening and taking notes on whatever you're saying. So. some of those moments make me laugh because as much as you know about football the coaches still know it at such a high level so i think yes and no i think there's if you haven't played or coached at a high level i feel like there's a lot that you don't know but at the same time i know i know a lot of it yes
0: all right one thing you probably know how to do better than uh you know somebody who at least is new to the job you know how to approach coaches probably <laughs> and, and make them comfortable or know when they're not in the mood to talk to you and answer very many questions.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of times this season where, you know, if it, if it was a coaching staff that wasn't happy with the way things were going, they'd be like, well, we're happy to see you. <laughs> like, happy and thankful it's me and knowing that I know what not to ask and, and also just that I'm genuinely for them. I think the, the whole notion that reporters don't have – feelings and like are completely unbiased is just not true. I fall for any good coaching staff that's doing things the right way and is kind and for the kids and, you know, respectful and does a good job communicating with me. It's like, I can't help but being, you know, hoping that they have a great year and hoping that things, the ball bounces their way. So I think that, you know, I enjoy getting to know them, but then I also get invested myself.
1: We have several East Carolina fans chiming in. Um, William Landon on YouTube says, great job covering the American this year. Keep up the good work. And then Thank Daniel you. Hill Sr. on Facebook says, Smackers, the GOAT sideline reporter for ECU games.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. That's It was it was so much fun. I, I will always have a soft spot for ECU because of the number of games that I covered with them this year. And it, I just, I don't know. I feel like I'll always remember the staff and, you know, coach and some of the, some of the memories from those games will always be my, you know, first, most humbling memories, but also fun ones.
1: The games Mm -hmm. that you worked, you you referenced Rice, UTSA, Florida Atlantic, obviously all road games. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that fourth one? Was that another road game or was that at Dowdy Ficklin? In in Greenville? All
2: road games. Okay. And we kept, we started joking about it. I was like, I know, I feel like I need to see the place. And I would, I would run into ECU fans The last game – because my final game was Florida Atlantic. It was back-to-back at Florida Atlantic, but that one was at Rice. So my last game of you guys was the Florida Atlantic – at Florida Atlantic. And you guys were – had fans on the road – and won that one and then coach's interview was so great he was getting emotional looking at all the ecu fans and the players running over for him it was one of my favorite interviews of the season and it was he was just so genuine and great and so but at that game there were fans that'd be like hey smack <laughs> i'd be like hey where well, you came all the way here <laughs> that's awesome and so i don't i feel like you guys also remind me of just an amazing you know having not been there just an amazing community where you you know, you're bought into the college and that it matters. And it's not, you know, there's more to it than just, you know, what the record is in that moment. And also so cool that it matters that much. I love that. In
0: East Carolina, if you, you've obviously never been here. It is definitely a small SEC environment. Our stadium owns 50,000. We routinely have over 40,000 in there. We we always rank in the top one, two, or three for group of five attendants. It's a great atmosphere. We were terrible this year, two and ten. But when we're good, when the Pirates are good, Dowdy Ficklin, you, you you hopefully you'll get to cover a game in there at some point because and I, we'll be much better this year. Coach did a great job working the portal, um, so uh, we'll be much better this coming season. There's no doubt about it. We couldn't be much worse. Um, so uh, maybe who knows? I don't know what if, if you've got any assignments yet. If you know what the fall, do you know what the fall holds for you? Are you are you going to be doing more uh, ESPN Plus? you going to be doing some network games, or do you know it this time?
2: I don't know at this time. Everything ended well, and I think, I think I'll be doing games next year. That's that's kind of the extent of what I know.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I, if you're not, I'd be shocked. I think it would be your by your choosing uh, oh, if you, you if so. you didn't do games. So I I got a feeling if if ESPN or CBS, somebody is smart. Um, you know, I love you co- covering digital games on on the uh, for the American, but no, I think you're gonna be on network before too long.
2: Thank you. I'm, I'm hopeful, and I just. But honestly, I don't know. People ask this too. That like, does it matter what game? And it's. I mean, I don't know. I just the coaches care, the players care, and I care. And oh, yeah. this summer, it's like, you know, it it matters. And so I'm. I don't. I had a great time with the American this year
0: because of who you are, and you're you're, you're very natural on the sideline. Your personality, and and again, who you are if the sec network if ESPN doesn't have enough sense to put you doing sec network games on the sideline, I mean, come on, Bubba, what do you think?
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, Richard Allsbrook uh, chimed in on Facebook. You were talking about your path into broadcasting and, uh, you know, your passion for what you do. He says, who have you met since broadcasting or maybe even before you started working in the sports industry that you've been a huge fan of, you know, maybe, maybe, um, Perhaps received some advice from.
2: That is, it's such a good question. There's so many. I mean, admiring the the girls that were doing it was my first impression of wanting to be that. Just how, you know, knowledgeable and respectful and hardworking they were. I think that you know I've met a lot of the the big ones, and they've all been wonderful. And uh, Tom Rinaldi was. I met him doing an interview and he was interviewing me for a for a ESPN something package. And he was actually one of the ones that first was actually helping me with um my reel and contacts and um just very uplifting and like exactly what you see. And I thought that was really cool. And then the I mean the women are just so great. Maria, I've shadowed her, Maria Taylor, she's not with ESPN anymore, but she's at um NBC now, and she's great. Holly Rowe is amazing. And I think she does such a good job of getting the story. Who's not going to talk to Holly. She's, you know, tr- so widely trusted in the industry and, you know, a- everyone I've come in contact with has just been wonderful and helpful. And, and I love that when the, you know, the women are so confident that they help you with anything.
1: Final thing I have for you, um, you know, as you, you referenced earlier your, your brothers uh, played, and then now they're coaching. Mom that played at Central Michigan uh, played basketball. That is, uh, obviously, your dad's background playing in coaching, and uh, so when you guys when when you're not uh, when when you guys weren't going through um, camp, so to speak, uh, your dad wasn't putting you through workouts. You know, whether you're around the TV watching a a football game or whatever the sport may be, uh, what is that like?
2: Post game was always stand around the kitchen island with snacks and literally reenact the game. So we were a big movie family. So we did a lot of boys club won the movie vote a lot, but they like more chick flicks than they admit. So we we got our rom-coms in, but the boys love any and all movies. So they, we always did a good job with, we didn't just talk about sports. And I feel like we all have big personalities. So there was, no, we were never short on anything to talk about. And with four kids in the house, just talking about all our social lives was enough. And we also run a wide range. So I'm 29 and my little sister's 20 playing softball at UCF. So we have a lot of, you know, two boys, two girls, and both parents. So, A lot of big personalities under one roof and we all like to be outside we like to work out we like to you know watch our shows i'm probably the worst tv watcher but we all watch it so we have a lot in common as a family which made it very easy to find things to do
0: smacker i had uh you know we're closing in here on eight o'clock which is your cutoff time but i wanted to ask you real fast we can get it in uh about (laughs) dating in high school having brothers and your dad being less miles how did that go (laughs)
2: <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I wasn't allowed out of my dad's sight. My parents would watch me. They would walk me into the movies and then see where I was sitting and who I was with. I wasn't allowed to ride in other people's cars. My little brother would have, has some stories for you. And I can, and I have his stories because I was only allowed to hang out with him, but no, I did not get out of my parents' sight. And I, I mean, I understood it to some extent and I don't blame them now. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm glad you look at it that way now. I bet you didn't then.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they were strict. They were super strict.
1: (laughs) Kyle, we just, yeah, we had um, East Carolina baseball play-by-play voice and Scott Rogers chiming in. He said he he certainly admires um, the work you do as well. And so just wanted to get that in from uh, Scott, better known as Scooter Rogers.
2: (laughs) Thank you. And I enjoyed all the ECU people, so it's good to hear from another one.
1: Well, we really appreciate your time tonight. You've been very generous, and uh, you know, we'd love to have you on some of our other shows, you know, this fall, uh, or maybe even during the summer months leading into football season, to, to talk a little college football.
2: That sounds great. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, Macer. Bye. Bye. We appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on X. And then also uh, we can be found on TikTok and Instagram at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You know, But for Kyle Barber, Smacker Miles, I'm Bob Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to The Coach's Kid right here on the Sports Objective. We appreciate everyone tuning in and we'll talk to you real soon.